this morning. And one of the things, and uh, as we've said throughout this COVID process, we're about the one-year mark, by the way. A year ago is when we started going into everything changing, and we uh, weren't, uh, didn't meet at all for a little bit except online. And I'm glad we haven't had to go back to that, uh, like some places have. But uh, one thing that I've, I'm really thankful for is, as a church um, and as a leadership to start with, we said, we don't have a clue what we're doing here, but we're going to prayerfully walk through this together. And so if you have insights, you have thoughts, then please share them. But it's all going to be okay because God's uh, working through us. And, and uh, he's whatever the future holds, he's already there. And it's all going to be okay. And here we are. We're in the future, and we're still here, aren't we? God's still working. God's still doing great stuff among us. And I'm excited for the foundation that, we've, that God has continued to lay among us that I believe that the future is better than the past. Agree? You guys agree? Amen? That the future is better than the past, that God has got plans for us, that he's got a mission for us, each one of us, to do and to be a part of, that I'm just excited to, uh, to see where God leads us in the next five years. Uh, in the meantime, I know as we talked this morning with the elders and deacons, we're just building a great team uh, together that we'll start making some, uh, some of the changes in our format on Sunday morning uh, were done because of, um, because of COVID stuff. And we'll start going to changing our song service again um, to, um, to move some of the, uh, the, the parts around in that. And I think we're, we're, we think that we're at that point. And so we're all going to walk through this together. And, and uh, just, uh, if you have insights and, uh, and prayers to offer up, then, then let's all, all do so together. And uh, we'll continue to broadcast online, and uh, it might be at a slightly different time, but if you're, still, if you're watching online, then we'll let you know, and, and that information will be there. All right, so for the last weeks, I've spent uh, some time going through, uh, I've used this book as an outline, but used a lot of other material, Timothy Keller's The Reason for God, Belief in an Age of Skepticism, and I've offered up several other books that if you wrestle with your faith, or if your mind gets in the way, then these books help, because they take a... Uh, they, they walk through why Christianity is valid and why we can really believe it and uh, why it really makes sense as much as something from God does make sense. Okay, it's, uh, God works in different ways than we do. But uh, I spent some time talking about is there a God? We talked about creation, how you can see God in the design of creation. I talked about how you can look at us as people is there's this moral law somewhere that we all seem to appeal to, and it's there, and we just, we've got a, it just points to something greater being there. And as we got closer to home, last week I talked about something that I'd, I'd really not considered before until I, I was exposed to some of this material, and I had to walk through it and, and share it with you, and hopefully it was helpful that God, as God has revealed himself, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that God works in this flow or this community, and with us, we, as God has, has said, the world will know you by your love. So when we work in that community, it's not nothing else out there. Uh, God's church is designed to be something that is beautiful, that works together, and it's amazing. And so today, I'm going to address the question, what happens next? And where do we go from here? There's a quote that I appreciate uh, that I found. It says, to know oneself is, above all, to know what one lacks. It is to measure oneself against the truth and not the other way around. And our tendency in our world is to measure the truth or measure God's word against what I want it to say. And that's never going to work well 
But it's only if we come face to face with the truth of God and say, okay, what do I need to be and what do I need to change in order to look like that, that we really start to see what's inside of us. So where do we go from here? Here's some things that we should ask ourselves when we examine our motives. Now, what I've found, I've been around long enough in life to realize that our motives are very, very complex. Usually our motives are not... Uh, completely pure, but there's all sorts of conflicting motives from family of origin to, to my own pride or whatever it is that go into any decision that I make. But this is something that's very important, that we're never going to sort out in this life all of our motives. Uh, we, if we think we have, then we're probably setting ourselves up for just being deceiving ourselves. But here are two very important questions we need to wrestle with. First question is, what do I have to do to get this or that from God? Because oftentimes when we come to Christ, we come because something is not working. Something uh, has, uh, in our life, we've had a major heartache, or we've had disaster, or things just aren't working, and we've got to find something else, something else to make sense of our mess of a life. And so we come to God thinking, okay, what can I get out of Him? What do I have to do in order to get eternal life? What do I have to do in order for God to bless me? That sort of thing. Can anybody relate to that? Maybe all of us, in some way, we approach God that way. But just think about it for a second. If I, um, all of us have known people in life, and maybe we've stood in this position before. I remember in college watching the dating scene, and I was never good at that at all. But I remember seeing some people that I, whether they were guys or whether they were girls, they got into these dating relationships because they wanted something from that other person, whether it was status or whether it was affection or whether it was, was being intimate or whatever it was. But they were in that relationship because they wanted something out of it and they thought that relationship was the way to get that. And so if we think about that, we think, man, that's a terrible person that uses people like that just to get what they want. That's awful. But if we stop for just a half a second and think, is that something that we do with God on a regular basis. What can I do in order to make God happy so that I can get this or that from him? What do I need to do in order to go to heaven and then check those marks off and that is spirituality or that is holiness? Think about it. The things that we really dislike about someone who is a player who is trying to get something from somebody else in a relationship, we can very easily do the same thing to God. And it is not till we make this transition to say, what do I have to do or what do I have to be to get God to be in this relationship with God where I walk side by side with him in this life? And if we don't make that transition, then what happens is the God that we serve is going to be the superficial God out there that is never going to really work in our lives and we're always going to be continually in this state of spiritual immaturity, never able to grow or go beyond it, or we're just not going to make it very long. Because when something else better comes along, we jump on that bandwagon because something else has something to offer for me. But approaching God, we've got to examine our motives to say, what am I really in this for? Am I in this because I just want a ticket to heaven and I don't really care about what God cares about at all, but I'm just going to try to punch my card so I can get there? Or do I see something more from God that I see that this is something that I truly want to be a part of? Something I really want to be a part of his mission and, and who he is, and I'm excited about that. And when we do that, then what happens is we start to understand more about God. We build a relationship with God. Faith is built on that, and 
things change for us. We become what uh, the New Testament calls disciples, people that change their lives to follow Jesus. But that takes some counting of the cost. Now, I'm going to read this scripture here in just a minute. But if you look at uh, words that are used in the New Testament to describe someone who follows Jesus, like Christian or one who is Christ, or as the early Christians would say, Jesus is Lord. And for us, that confession is, uh, we think, yeah, Jesus is Lord, absolutely. Who else would be Lord? But for the Christians who said that, it was such a great jump of faith because what they were instructed to do in the Roman world was to say that Caesar is Lord. Caesar is the one that ultimately provides life. He provides good uh, society for us to live in. And so when Christians said, no, no longer is Caesar Lord, but Jesus is Lord, that meant that everything that I was excited about before, I'm going to lay aside because ultimately Jesus is the only one that can provide great fulfillment in life. And I'm in. I'm completely in. There is an a interview. I'm going to read a response here in just a minute. But I remember I was introduced to this individual years and years ago um, when this is going to date me. Some of you are going to know exactly what I'm talking about, and some of you uh, younger generation are going to say, what on earth are you talking about? But I remember something came in the mail in an envelope and opened it up, and it had all these stamps in it. And these stamps said, and this, this letter said, that you can send this back with all these stamps and you can get ten free tapes. How many of you know what tapes are? Okay, yeah, tapes. That's before CDs um, or tapes. You get ten tapes. I think it was for a penny. You had to put a penny in there, ten tapes for a penny, and then you're on the hook to buy a few more as you went along. But it really penciled out well. And so I remember getting so excited about it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get these tapes for free. And I'm going to continue. I'm going to start building my music repertoire. And so I put, um, I put some on there. My sister got some, I think. And we ordered all these tapes. And, and uh, they came in the mail. And I was so excited about it. And it's amazing. Some of those original tapes that I got that day when I was probably I was in middle school still. I still have. And uh, one of them my parents threw away. My white snake tape, they took that away and threw it away. That was, that was a no-go. So that was bad. Some, I, don't think, I think that happened to Tisha as well. Did that happen to you, Tisha? Yep, your parents threw away your white snake tape. That's part of growing and learning and, and all that. But I remember one of the tapes that I got was by a band named U2, a Joshua Tree. And I really I loved the music. I had been introduced to some of it before. But there was a guy that uh, I was a lead singer he goes by the name of Bono, and he's kind of a he's a lightning rod for political issues and all sorts of stuff. But I'm going to read something that he said in an interview that I think uh, uh, helps us understand what uh, is what Jesus is talking about when he talks about counting the cost. And the interviewer asks him, he says, "Christ has his rank among the world's greatest thinkers, but Son of God isn't that far fetched?" And this is Bono's response. No, it's not far-fetched to me. Look, the secular response to the Christ story always goes like this. He was a great prophet, obviously a very interesting guy. Had a lot to say along the lines of other great prophets, be they Elijah, Muhammad, Buddha, or Confucius. But actually, Christ doesn't allow you that. He doesn't let you off that hook. Christ says, no, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me teacher. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm saying I'm the Messiah. I'm saying I am God incarnate. 
And people say, no, 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 please, please just be a prophet. A prophet we can take. You're a bit eccentric. We've had John the Baptist eating locusts and wild honey. We can handle that. But don't mention the M word because you know we're going to have to crucify you. And he goes, no, no, I know you're expecting me to come back with an army and set you free from these creeps, but actually... I am the Messiah. At this point, everyone starts staring at their shoes and says, oh no, he's going to keep saying this. So what you're left with is either Christ was who he said he was, the Messiah, or a complete nutcase. I mean, we're talking nutcase on the level of Charles Manson. I'm not joking here. The idea that the entire course of civilization for over half the globe could have its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, for me, that's far-fetched. And what he's saying here and what he's sharing, and I think it's helpful, is that with Jesus and what Jesus claims about himself is that we are called to make a decision. And one of those decisions is not approach Jesus mildly and say, he's a good teacher, he's a good prophet. Yeah, we'll put him up there in the group of all these others. Jesus doesn't allow that because when he claims that he is the Messiah, either he is or he isn't. And there's no middle ground there. In fact, this is what Jesus says about himself. He says, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now, if you have a bunch of people following you and you know that they're hanging on every word you say, is that the kind of thing that you say? For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Now, Okay, let's, let's be honest here for a, for a minute, okay? When you read this, and you hear these words of Jesus, how many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you think, man, I just wish he wouldn't say that. I wish he would tone it down just a little bit. I wish, because there's so much to that that makes me uncomfortable. Man, that's tough. Or think about this one. This is also in the book of Luke. Large crowds, again, were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot become, can, can, cannot be my disciple. Now, this is a toughie here because Jesus says you've got to hate people, whereas Jesus comes talking about love. He's using this as hyperbole here. If you look at Matthew 10, it says, if you love your wife or child or whatever more than me, you're not worthy of me. Same concept here. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Man, doesn't that, if we're going to be honest, you know, and we're in church here, so our tendency may be to say, oh yeah, no, I love that, that's great, I'm going to follow that. But isn't there a part of you that just thinks, man, that really cramps my style. That's more than I want to give up because I want to hang on to something. I want to hang on to parts of it so that I can still be me, right? Because Jesus is sure asking a lot here. I'm going to back up for just a second. Look what he says. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? I believe that these teachings of Jesus, as he shares them, he knows that they're going to cause us heartache. He knows that they're going to make us struggle But understood in their context, what Jesus is sharing with us is something that is designed and and intended to free us completely. Because as we've talked about, all of us are going to serve some master in this life. 
whether it be our finances, whether it be our family, whether it be any number of things we've talked about, some master we're going to serve. And all of those things are ultimately going to leave us um, not being able to find complete and total fulfillment. I think about it with my wife. I love my wife. We've been married 19 years. I'm really thankful for her. But loving God more than I love my wife empowers me to love her like I should. Because if I loved her more than anything else and did whatever she wanted and she got whatever she wanted at any given moment, that's not going to be good for her. It's not going to be good for me because all of us are designed ultimately to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so what Jesus is doing right here is is saying, I'm going to show you how to get free of these shackles that keep you in this life because none of this stuff can make you happy anyway. None of it can give you joy. None of it's going to give you comfort. But if you love me first and give it all over to me, what happens is I'm going to open up and and give you freedom to be who you're always intended to be. That's the way this is supposed to work. So counting the cost is is important. And part of that is taking inventory and looking at our own self. Think about this question. What is holding you back? And there may be all sorts of things, and if you haven't become a Christian yet, then think about it in those terms if you have. And there's things that, that cause us to, uh, uh, to have hitches in our spiritual growth uh, all the time. If it's content, think about these things. Maybe you struggle with creation, and how could God do that, and how, how is that even possible? Or you struggle with sin, and that you say, well, there's some things I don't want to give up, or, or I just don't believe some things are sin that the Bible calls sin, and I wrestle with that. Or maybe I, I wrestle with the cross, I just... Don't like that. I wish there could have been a less bloody, kinder way to do this instead of all of that. And I really take issue with it. Or maybe there's some of it just doesn't make sense to me. And I read aspects of the the scriptures that man, it just doesn't pan out. It just doesn't it just doesn't make sense to me. And I'm I'm wrestling with that. And I'd prefer that someone wrestle than pretend that they don't. They're not okay. Or maybe this is a situation where our what's holding us back spiritually is is that there's cost issues. Um, maybe, maybe you're a commitment phobe. <laughs> you know, I know that I need to commit to God, but I just don't like to commit to everything. I like to be a free agent, and I like to have my space here and all of that. And so the, this cost is just a lot to consider. But I, I'll share something, and this is uh, something I, uh, an analogy that I think was helpful for me to ponder on this week, is think about it in this way. Okay, Gary, if you're walking along and there's a, there's a cliff that's right here and there's a trail along, okay? And there's a stick that is there in this cliff bank. And how many of you have done that? You've been climbing on something and, uh, and you look at it and you think, I don't know if that's going to hold my weight. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Now think about this. If you're going along and uh, say Gary's walking along and, and he, uh, he gets over there and he looks at that branch that is sticking out of this cliff face. And he says, well, if I fall off, I have full confidence that that branch is going to hold me. The roots are in there, the roots are deep, and it's wonderful, and it's just going to be great. So I'm going to walk along, and I know that if I slip during this narrow part of the path, that I can reach out and I can grab that branch, and it's going to save me. And Gary walks by, and he slips, and he doesn't grab the branch. What's going to happen? That's right, I'm going to fall. But what happens if Gary walks along and says, all right, here I am, and I'm getting to this narrow part of this trail, and I see that branch there, and I really don't know if that branch is going to save me. 
It kind of spooks me, honestly. But I've got to get past this part of the trail. So I'm going to go past, and hopefully I don't need that branch, and I'm going to walk by. And as Gary's walking by, he slips. And knowing that that branch, or at least having questions, that branch might not save him, he reaches out and grabs it anyway. And the branch saves him. And so let's understand here is that following Jesus ultimately doesn't mean that we have everything answered. doesn't mean that we have everything together. doesn't mean that we have uh, all our ducks in a row because we can have all that in a row and not reach out to Jesus and it doesn't do us any good, right? But I believe we can walk along and say, man, God, I just wrestle with some of this and I wrestle with, with some of who you are and I wrestle with all sorts of things. But when it comes down to it, Instead of seeking any other way, I'm going to hit my knees and I'm going to pray because, because you're there, because I can grab on. And maybe there's something to that, is that for God, what he cares more about is us not having all of the answers in order, but realizing that maybe what he's revealed to us isn't watertight, but maybe the example that he's given us and the person that he's giving us absolutely is. There's a lot of things about creation. There's a lot of things about sin, the cross, all these number of things that we could, we could talk about. We may wrestle through in this life. But one thing he's given us that is clear is himself coming to the world to say, all this other stuff you can wrestle with, but you don't have to wrestle with me. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you may be saying, wait a minute, is this the same guy that said I've got to give up everything? I've got to love him more than I love my parents and my everybody in order to follow Jesus? Is that the same guy that just says, come to me, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light and all that? That does not seem like the same guy talking. But I believe what Jesus is getting across to us is none of this stuff that you have to give up, none of the stuff that you have to sacrifice to follow me is ever going to provide any type of joy, any type of long-term comfort anyway. But I'll tell you what, no matter what else happens in life, I will not let you down. It doesn't matter if uh, the people that uh, you walk through life with that are Christians alongside you decide to stab you in the back or they do whatever. It doesn't matter any of that kind of stuff because I won't. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. My, what I want for you is to find rest for your souls, and I'm going to walk alongside you no matter what happens. And you can bank on that. Man, I think what an amazing, amazing promise that Jesus is giving us here. Last uh, Wednesday night, we spent some time talking about, uh, as Peter does, in chapter 3 about um, baptism that saves you also and, and, and that. And, and I asked the, the crew that was there on Wednesday night, can you tell your story of how you came to Christ? And several shared. And I didn't prep in anybody. I didn't ask anybody ahead of time, would you think about this and share your story? But several shared. And there were stories that came up of people that made that decision to follow Christ and were terrified to tell their families or tell their parents at the time because it was so scary, the decision they were making, and their parents, they knew, were going to respond with anger and rage and all of that. And, uh, but what came out of those stories is whatever I had to give up in order to follow Jesus was worth every bit of it. 
Every time, that's what came up in those stories. Because the people that shared their stories, I know Willa Jean shared, Christine Bachmeyer shared, several others, Kim shared, several others. But what came up in those stories was that exactly what we're talking about. They went from, what can I get out of following God, to, I cannot not be a part of this mission anymore, because I want this. I want to walk side by side with God in this life. So when we take inventory, ultimately, the next, uh, next steps are uh, taking the plunge, saying, uh, as Scripture talks about repentance, faith, and baptism. Those are what God asks of us. And we approach God in repentance, and that is uh, the sin in our life. Uh, we say, I don't want to do that anymore. I want that to be gone. I want it to be done. And instead of saying temptation is an opportunity, we see it as temptation. You see, that's part of what repentance is about. And there's all sorts of lists that we could go through of the different temptations and things that we uh, are sins that each one of us can and should repent of, Christians. But maybe one of the big things that's very, very important to remember is, is repenting of the desire to save myself and to do things my own way. But repent and say, God, now you're at the driver's seat. You've got control of the wheel, and I'm going to do your thing, things your way. Even if I don't make, it doesn't make sense, even if I wrestle with it, I'm still in, and I'm on board with it. And faith means, uh, means trusting. Uh, we talked about the, uh, the example of the, the branch there. Is, uh, sometimes that's not having it all together in our head or having it all figured out, but be willing to reach out when we fall. <laughs> you know, that's maybe the most important thing. That's part of faith is training ourselves that we're going to uh, hit our knees when things get difficult instead of try to fix things ourselves. That's part of uh, walking by faith. And then baptism so we come to God, and, uh, and we're baptized, our sins are forgiven, we're renewed, we're refreshed, and we come into a different relationship with God. And that's that commitment that we make. Now, most of us here have made that commitment, and that's, uh, that's something we've already done. But here's something else I would share, and we'll come back to continuing to be faithful here in a minute. But committing to community. Uh, look at this scripture here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I look at this and I think, man, this is, this is the life right here. This is the good times. When you have this community that is working together in the flow of the Holy Spirit, that good things are happening and there's people that are looking around saying, that's what I want. That's what I want to be part of. Look at that community. They're great. Look at how they, uh, they interact. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? That's something, that's something I'm really excited about. And something I've found is if we don't take this seriously when we become a part of the community of God or when we become Christians, if we don't jump in and say, man, I want to learn, I want to grow, I want to stretch, and I'm all in, what happens is we tend to... Uh, just not grow spiritually, not do well. Because the things that we wrestle with or the things that we might have shortcomings in, those ultimately are always best when we wrestle through those as a community together. And understand that you don't have to do this alone. Um, again, that is, going back to, to faith and repentance, is ultimately deciding, I cannot do this alone anymore. And part of my life going forward is going to be 
being part of this community, realizing that I have something to learn and I have something to, to contribute as well. One of the scariest things I've ever heard, I believe, was a, there was a young person in Great Falls years ago that told me, I don't think, looking around the church here, I don't think that there's anybody that has anything to teach me. That was terrifying to me. Because what it showed is this huge arrogance that existed in this person. That they couldn't see that there were people that had walked alongside them, had walked ahead of them, that could offer them unbelievable counsel, spiritual counsel. And they couldn't see it at all because they were so full of their own pride that they looked around and said, there's nobody here who has anything to offer me whatsoever. Man, that's dangerous. Because the reality is, as we come into um, the community of God, we always have something to offer each other, right? And every one of us has something to give in the community of God. And when we work and we walk through our spiritual lives together, and that's the way God's designed things to be. That's the way He works in community. I'm going to talk about for a few minutes here as we finish up uh, God's graceful call. Now, each one of us is given the responsibility to find and to pursue God. One of the things that Jeremiah says, and this is a a verse that is very well known. He says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, maybe our tendency sometimes in this world is to seek God part way. Like, I want part of God, but I don't want all of him because that involves sacrifice and that involves me looking face to face in the mirror and me changing and all that. I'm just not interested in that. I just want the good parts. I'm going to use God, that sort of thing. And God calls us to be, every one of us, to have this desire that I'm going to seek God with all of my heart. I cannot do that for you. Nobody else can do that for you. But each one of us has to make that decision that I'm going to be one, that no matter what else happens, no matter what anybody else does, I'm on this mission in this life to seek God with all my heart because that's what he calls me. Because his promise is that he will show himself, I'll find him when I seek him with all my heart. How many of you can relate to that? Is that at certain points in your life, it wasn't until you finally gave up and said, all right, I'm all in, that something amazing happened. Yeah, see, that's how God works. He works that way. Brings us to that point that we have to ultimately say, my way does not work anymore. I'm all in. And I'm searching for you, whatever it is, and boom, there it is. God has his way of revealing himself. But there's something else. And for those of us that have been Christians for a while, this is very, very important for us to wrestle with here. It's very important to not only dedicate ourselves to finding God and pursuing him throughout our life, but to be willing to allow God to find you. Remember, God's the good shepherd. That's what he does. That's his, um, that's his nature. Good shepherds go out and find their sheep and they bring them in. Now think about it in Matthew 18, and I, um, let's go ahead and turn there, and I'll read this. There's a parable that Jesus tells, and when we went through the book of Luke here a few years ago, I spent some time in this. Luke chapter 18, verse 9, it says, To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. We'll take a time out here for just a second. Had the Pharisee, from his own perspective, found God? Oh, yeah, 
was good with God. He uh, fasted twice a week and gave a tenth of all he See, look at all these fruits of righteousness that are coming out. And, ooh, look at all those terrible people over there. Isn't that awful? Those people are gross. Man, I'm glad I'm not that way. Hmm. I think we could say maybe that this guy had thought that he had found God, but God hadn't found him yet. God was far, far away from his heart. But if you continue on, it says, But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see what is? God had found this tax collector. He'd found him. I think we see the similar situation with Paul. As Paul goes through life, we talked about it on Sunday night, or Wednesday night when we were talking about um, conversion stories. Paul thought he was good. He thought he was doing the will of God, thought he was in great shape, and he was on his way to Damascus to persecute those who were following the way. Something happened on the way. God appeared to him and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. Changes Paul's life. And Paul had to allow God to find him. And uh, for if you've been a Christian a while, I think that's something that's so important for all of us to look at our own selves and say, I know that I'm in a relationship with God. I know that I've found God. But has God really found me? Is my heart completely on board, completely dedicated? Or is God working to try to call me something deeper and something greater? And if we learn nothing else, um, let's learn this, that we cannot approach God mildly and say, well, Jesus is this great... uh, teacher, but uh, I'm going to give and I'm going to take pieces, I'm going to leave pieces of it. Jesus doesn't allow for that. But what we, what I encourage all of us to do is to re-examine that walk with God and say, if you haven't found God yet, then hey, let's talk. And uh, there's, you can head to the back, he'll pray with you, we'll talk about how to, how to get there, how to, how to run towards God. Um, and if, uh, no matter who you are, Let's make sure that God is, we're allowing God to truly find us, to truly get into our hearts, and not just approach God from the perspective of, okay, I want God because I want to go to heaven, but we're approaching God from the perspective of, I want this friendship, this relationship with God, and I'm going to walk side by side with him in this life because I am so excited about who he is, and that's awesome. And doing that day in, day out changes us. That's my encouragement for you this week. Next week, I'm going to pick up with a few questions for, uh, in the next three weeks or so. Questions that, um, that uh, really are, are tough to answer as far as uh, being a Christian. Like, why do sometimes really good people suffer some of the worst things in this life? We're going to hit a few questions like that, and we'll wrestle through them together. Hope you have a blessed week. We'll go straight into the Lord's Supper. And if you would like to, uh, prayers of the church, you'd like to become a Christian today, head to the back. And there's people back there will uh, walk alongside you in those uh, in those times. Come on up.